I wanted to talk today, since we're about to have a precept ceremony tomorrow, about um, vow and about devotion and about refuge. Can we take refuge in that? <laughs> we can if we expect nothing of it. So, Dogen talks a little bit about refuge. And I just want to start off by reading something he wrote in a fascicle that he calls Taking Refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. The act of taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha is achieved through mutual affinity and interaction. Whether you are in deva realms, a human realm, hell, demon realm, or an animal realm, when you have mutual affinity and interaction with Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, you invariably take refuge in them. And then he talks about the character Kie, which is split into two, which are two characters together. And he talks about what they mean, which is very instructive. Taking refuge in, so the first, taking refuge in means returning and relying upon. So the first character is to return to something, even to care for it. But the second one is to depend on it, or to rely on it. So refuge is not just returning to and caring for something, but returning to and caring for something and being able to rely on it. So what is reliable? Is the question, because it isn't the particulars of our experience, because we know they're always changing. So there's something consistently always shifting and changing about reality. So when we're talking about relying, we're certainly not talking about relying on things remaining constant, because that is not going to happen. So reliance cannot be that. Reliance can't be our karmic expectations, the expectations we have about the world coming from our own karmic conditioning, coming from our own conditioning, because that's always changing, that's limited, that's shifting, and we know if we invest in that as something reliable, the Buddha told us very clearly, dukkha follows. Suffering is immediate when we rely on our karmic mind to be a place of reliability. So it's not leaving us much room here terms of reliability. But we're talking about taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha without that. Without being able to rely on the particulars of those. So there's a distinction then that maybe I, that is helpful for me around the difference between refuge and devotion. Because devotion takes up the first part 
of the definition, but not the second, necessarily. So the first part is to return to something, to care for it, to be attentive, to be with. Right? We are devoted to something. We're devoted to each other. We're devoted to karma. There's nothing, actually, for a bodhisattva that is not worthy of our devotion. Everything is worthy of our devotion. But not everything is worthy of our refuge, because that is not very wise. And understanding the difference between devotion and refuge is key to central to liberation. If we confuse one for the other, we will be trapped. So oftentimes when we're in, let's take Sangha as an example. We're in Sangha and we may have, let's say, karmic affinity with certain people in Sangha or not have karmic affinity with other people in the Sangha. If we take refuge in that karmic affinity or we take refuge in the lack of that karmic affinity, meaning that our personalities line up, our histories line up, our experiences, etc., etc., we are not taking, that is not taking refuge in Sangha. That will disappoint. Because there will be a point in time where those karmic affinities aren't so aligned. They change. They become unreliable. We're not happy with each other. We're disappointed. And if we have made that karmic affinity, that karmic alignment, a refuge, we'll question Sangha. Sangha will fall apart for us because we started out with a confused premise that Sangha is about our karma. It is about our karma, but not about relying on it. We can't rely on it. So then, to be together in Sangha is to be devoted to our karma and to the karma of others without relying on our karma or the karma of others. To understand what it is to be devoted to one another's karma. And we're devoted to one another's karma not, it's a very specific way we're devoted to it, not to bolster it, reify it, make it harder, stronger, tell you that your story about yourself is right, or your story about anything is right. Our stories are our perspectives, they're not right. but instead to be devoted to one another's liberation within that karma. And if I'm actually relying on my karma and relying on your karma, I cannot be devoted to your liberation from it. It is not possible because I am coming from a confused place and I'm invested. I'm invested in my karma, I'm invested in your karma, and now we're all confused. So to hold this space of devotion to all things while recognizing what is worthy or wise for refuge. But still, what, what are we talking about with refuge? 
there is a um, there's another fascicle that Bergen talks about talks and I just want to add this to it so we can kind of maybe feel into refuge this this fascicle is called intimate language I love this writing very much intimate language intimate heart and intimate action in Buddha Dharma are not like that, which is what he was talking about before. This is what it's like. When you encounter a person, you invariably hear intimate language and speak intimate language. When you know yourself, you know intimate action. Thus Buddha ancestors can thoroughly actualize this intimate heart and intimate language. Know that when there are Buddha ancestors, intimate language and intimate action are immediately manifest. Intimate means close and inseparable. There is no gap. Intimacy embraces Buddha ancestors. It embraces you. It embraces the self. It embraces action. It embraces generations. It embraces merit. It embraces intimacy. When intimate language encounters an intimate person, the Buddha eye sees the unseen. Intimate action is not known by self or other, but the intimate self alone knows it. Each intimate other goes beyond understanding. Since intimacy surrounds you, it is fully intimate. And then he says, clearly study this, as he always does. <laughs> refuge is there. Refuge in the ultimate sense is in the realization that our deep, intimate interconnection is beyond our understanding with our karmic mind. That is the refuge. That is what we're taking refuge in. The refuge is beyond our capacity to know what to take refuge in. So how do we take refuge in something that we don't necessarily witness with our karmic minds? We start by vowing to do it. To create a space, to create the possibility that we can be devoted to one another, to one another's karma, to one another's wake awakening, without confusing that with refuge, we have to vow to be devoted to one another. And we have to vow to uphold the precepts, because that's what's going to keep us in alignment when we're confused about being caught up in one another's karma and our own. And so, the interesting thing about refuge, when what we're taking refuge in is beyond our capacity to really understand what we're taking refuge in, is the act of the Sangha taking refuge in Sangha is what allows me to take refuge in Sangha. In other words, what makes the Sangha reliable is refuge. That is what makes it reliable. If the Sangha takes refuge, if the members of the Sangha take refuge in the Sangha, it means that the first time you have 
you're unhappy with something, you're not just going to leave or get angry. You might get angry, that's fine, but you're not going to leave. You're going to stay in refuge because you vowed to take refuge. That refuge is what makes other Sangha members able to take refuge. If there is no vow of refuge, then there's nothing reliable here. If the bottom of the community is our karma, then there's nothing reliable here. Then we're the same as every other community, which is whether we're karmically aligned in a moment or not karmically aligned in a moment or whatever it is. Now what comes up right away is, well, this, we, there's suspicion if we're just saying refuge for refuge's sake. What happens if there's harm? Well, there will be people who are treating their own karma, most of us, at times, treating their own karma as refuge. Not as devotion, but as refuge. In fact, all of us come into practice treating our own self, separate self, as our only reliable refuge, even though it's entirely unreliable. But that's what we go to. That's the refuge. That's what correctness, rightness, this is the way, my perspective is the perspective, etc. It's treating it as it's a false refuge. And so to relinquish the self as a false refuge, to go through the process of sitting meditation and zazen and precepts, etc., that slowly relinquishes the self as a false refuge, as we begin to take refuge in sangha, devoted to karma without taking refuge in karma. And doing that through vows to stay in that process together, this becomes a place of refuge. But only with that collective work. It doesn't, it's just not, sangha just isn't, or arguably it's not sangha until that's the case. This is what it is to create sangha is to live from an intimate language that is unfolding as us all the time. And, and the thing about taking refuge in Sangha without grasping karma is that we are acting in alignment with dependent co-arising, Paticca Samadpada. We're actually in that time acting in alignment with the way reality is, which is we are all deeply and intimately interconnected in ways that we can understand. And that the ways we do understand are very, very tiny thread of what's going on. And not to make the mistake of refuge in that tiny thread. Because if we do, there will be suffering. And the body is completely central to this understanding. One thing that I've been talking a bit at um, Union about lately is this connection between, so what we translate as heart is shin from the Chinese. But heart and mind are both not up to the task of 
what this term really refers to. In fact, I think it's one of those terms like Dharma that we should just not translate. It just should be Shin. And, um, and the reason is, is like when we try to translate Dharma, it loses the, the, the profundity and breadth of the term. The same with Shin. Shin is, the, is when someone points to Shin from a culture who uses that term, they point here. So we say heart. But it is the um, it is the coordinating area of all the energies of life, the energies of the body, the energies of the heart, the energies of the mind, all of it. Now the brilliance of this is that it is through the clarity of Shin that we viscerally experience dependent co-arising that we bodily experience dependent co-arising is not through our logical understanding that we experience it. In fact, that will often put us on a whole other path. But it's through the clarification of the body, clarification of the karma in the body, of the clouds in front of that network of life energy that we experience what it is to, if you, we take Indra's net of the infinite pearls reflecting the infinite pearls of the cosmos, this is what it is to experience one of the pearls, is for this to become clear. And if there is any aspect of us that can hear the intimate language, it's Shin. This is what hears the intimate language in our body. And so to, um, to live with one another from that knowing space and to catch when we move, which we will do all the time, catch when we move into intellectual, karmic, thought, chatty realities. This is necessary to catch over and over. This is, we, this is why we put aside Zazen to look at this and ask to drop into the body and drop into the body and drop into the body and drop into the body. Because if we're not coming from that, we won't have the information required. Um, we won't have the sensory information required to be together. In Sangha, which means harmonious community. It's pretty hard to harmonize if we're not listening. And you know, we're taking on a very, um, there's, a, there's a way of speaking in our Sangha about taking on the, um, the social karma of our world. And once that starts um, being let out into the community in ways that needs to happen, it's a part of what we are, the ability for a Sangha to metabolize that is going to be dependent on not relying on karma. If we rely on karma, 
when we are trying to process all of that and metabolize that, we will fracture. That is just, if that is our foundation, if the foundation is karmic, and that's where we rely, without feeling the intimacy of our lives together, if we forget that, if we walk away from that, we will fracture. And that is exactly what's forgotten when we look at the world writ large. There's no, what gets lost is the intimacy of our connection, the intimacy of our, our life, of us all as life. We need to do both. We, can't, we cannot turn intimacy into an object that we hook our clouded mind onto and pretend nothing else is happening. That is confusion. That is turning interconnection into a thing, into a particular. That is always a mistake. And that will always lead to clouded delusion. To live interconnection is to stay shin to shin in this moment. This is what practice discussion is about once we get done with telling our stories. Shin to shin, which is really one shin. May our intentions Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.